Welcome to the Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Lipsky of Break of Day Capital. I talk to leading experts to discuss a wide range of subjects to educate investors on best-in-class practices to build legacy wealth and positively impact communities. Let's jump in. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Lipsky with Break of Day Capital. Be sure to join our Facebook group, Asset Management Mastery, where we have a great community of thousands of like-minded individuals sharing resources and best practices. Choosing the right insurance coverage for multifamily properties isn't that complicated, if you know who to talk to. At the Garzella Group, we're uniquely qualified to help you navigate the range of policy choices you have, and we're committed to saving you 30% in the process. We do intensive market research and have nationwide relationships, so we can find coverage other insurance brokers simply can't. We should talk. Go to quotenow.biz and we'll start the conversation. Today on the podcast, we have Adam Drescher, who is Break of Day Capital's Investor Relations Manager. Adam spent 20 years on Wall Street, where he specialized in covering some of the largest and best-performing hedge funds, mutual funds, and family offices. Prior to joining Break of Day Capital, Adam was a multifamily realtor facilitating deals throughout Arizona. Adam helps investors realize their financial objectives through real estate investing. Thanks for joining us, Adam. Can you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Sure. Well, first of all, Gary, thanks for having me. Very excited to be here today. Yeah. So my uh, career on Wall Street, I spent 20 years on Wall Street. What I did was for the majority of my career, I was, as you said, covering some of the largest and most successful hedge funds and mutual funds. What I was doing there was I was sales and sales trader was my was my official title. So what that meant was you know, early in the morning, I'd get there, uh, digest all the research available out there. And once that was accomplished, I would immediately hit the phones and start covering the funds. And we looked, talked about long-term uh, trading opportunities, short-term trading opportunities, and it was really a great position where you know we built some very you know trusting long-term relationships with clients. So how did I get into real estate from there? Was you know right around 2008, you know everybody knows what happened. There was the great financial meltdown. You know it hit so many sectors. I mean, real estate obviously was one of the big ones that got hurt. And right around that time, a lot of the people I used to cover said, you know what? We don't really need to pay these many people trading-wise. We're going to start doing our trading internally. Same with research. They said, why am I talking to 30 different analysts who cover the tech sector? Why don't we hire a couple, have them come in to, you know, to talk to us, do our work for us, and pay them? So when the commission started to dry up, I realized I really need to do something new. And the first thing, my wife and I started a small business, moved to Arizona to do that. And once I got going, realized I don't necessarily, the two of us necessarily don't need to be there at the same time. So I started looking for a new job and talked to a lot of friends and real estate kept on coming up and up. They said, hey, you understand relationship building. You understand the sales process. Why don't you get into real estate? And I liked it. I thought that made perfect sense. Got a license, briefly did residential. You know, after about six months of that, got into a multifamily. And I would say, you know, it's a full circle. I'm back to doing what I, what I enjoy most now, investor relations, talking to investors, listening to their needs and really helping them achieve their financial goals through real estate investing now. So talk about the difference between Wall Street and real estate, because I know for yeah. me and, and many others, I got very frustrated with the the lack of control. I had the manipulation in the markets. 
it seemed like the big dogs are the ones that make the money and, and everyone else gets screwed, you know? So I'm curious your thoughts on the, on the differences. Now, I think you really nailed into what you said just now. I mean, to me, when people ask me like the big differences, to me, what I love about real estate over Wall Street is the security that some of the numbers you hear about, uh, you know, Wall Street is the stock market average, and this includes some huge whiplashes, you know, up markets, down markets, then an average about eight to nine percent annually, and you know, decent return, but it really you know pales in comparison to uh, multifamily. I know our recent deal we're targeting internal rate returns, so not so pricing even the time value of money, 16, 18% return, which dwarfs even the most usually the best performing hedge funds out there. I mean, hedge funds these days, they have raised so much capital that they get such a big 2% before uh, just showing up January 2nd, get a big 2% fee every single year that a lot of them have really lost the nerve and really effort to uh, put up big numbers. And often the market is, you know, we'll slightly outperform the market, but, you know, protect on the downside. Now that's great, but you're still going to lose money on the downside. Compare that to multifamily investing, where during the uh, 2008 recession, during the dot-com bubble, even those tough times, multifamily performed and performed quite well. So with multifamily, you're getting a much better return and it's much more secure. It's a hard asset. People need a place to live. So it's always going to, there's always the need there. And, you know, as I said, you said a lot about Wall Street is you get whipsawed and there's no guarantee. I mean, Wall Street, I think, can be best summed up in that movie, Wolf of Wall Street, where Matthew McConaughey is having lunch with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio his first day, when he just looks at him and says, hey, listen, nobody has a clue whether or not a stock's going to go up or down. We, we really don't. And I think that's really the truth about it. You mentioned also, I mean, one of the, I think, numbers I think a lot of people would be shocked to hear is you talk to the legendary investors out there. I mean, Stanley Druckenmiller, his name often comes up as one of the best investors ever, and Ray Dalio, who runs the largest hedge fund, they're wrong a good 40, 50% of the time by their own acknowledgement. Yeah, that's insane. Because in real estate investing, if you're wrong that much, then you're you're dead in the water. There's a lot more predictability in, in that. Certainly, you can't control where interest rates are going to be, cap rates are going to be, even maybe rank growth. But there, there, there's a lot of predictability that you can you can see and you can create your own value depending upon what thesis you're going after. You know, for us, obviously it's, it's value by multifamily. And on a recent deal, we we added uh, water conservation to the property, which added almost three million dollars of value from from day one, which is which is huge. You can't you can't do that in the stock market. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I'm sure you deal with a range of investors. What are some of the biggest objections you're facing these days? Yeah, currently the objections I'm really facing from investors is a lot of people just have been listening to the static. They've been hearing a lot about the concerns about interest rates and issues there. So when somebody comes in and you know asks me, well, you know, what about interest rates? You know, I let them know that we're very disciplined, that we, you know, we have a locked-in interest rates. We're also in the camp that rates are going to go go lower. And we also can refinance in any single time. So that's one of the biggest objections you know, I face with people just who've been just listening to a lot of the noise out there about the market. And I remind them too that I think this is actually an excellent time because when you have the fear out there is often when you get the good opportunities to, to purchase great properties at discounted prices. The other objection I do get as well is some people are uh, who are new to multifamily real estate investing are always a little bit concerned about the liquidity. You know, How is their money tied up? When that happens too, I usually take them through it step by step. You know, we realize how much money they have available that they won't need access to. And that usually is the sum that we come to as a good opportunity to invest in 
multifamily. And, and the key reminder is that num- that money is going to incredibly outperform money you have in other investments. So keep that in mind as well. It's amazing how many people don't know about real estate syndications. Their financial advisor doesn't get a face, so they're pushing stocks, stocks, stocks. And so, you know, they look at this as maybe too risky. There's just a lot of fear. And and how do you get someone to overcome that fear or get go from zero to like kind of understanding a real estate syndication? Because it is far different than anything that they've they've done before, typically. Yeah, when cases like that, when people are really fierce, you know, when they when they bring up liquidity, oh, it's risky, you know, I can't get my money back. Why just remind them about at that point, you almost have to give a history lesson. Say, okay, so let's look at the stock market. You know, you're looking at about an eight, nine percent return. And that's what that number is gonna is whipsawed. I mean, you have market years where the market's up 25%, years is down, you know, 10, 15%. You have these incredible swings in your money. And you know, compare that to real estate where this is a hard asset, people need a place to live. There usually is rent growth. I've you know exception of in that mind to uh, look at the market. You know we're investing in the Southwest that continues to see enormous population growth, and you know compare these steady returns, and you know look at our look at model what we're looking to accomplish there. You talked about the water savings, you know the rent the rent growth, and all in all, you're going to get a much better return based off a stable asset that people need that can't go anywhere. That there's a shortage of. You know, versus a risky stock market that, you know, as I said, people don't know whether the stocks can go up or down, and it can easily see the market manipulated in many ways. What are the top things that you are looking for in an invest- investment opportunity? Sure. Well, anybody who's ever spoken to me knows the first thing I ever speak about is I talk about our team at Break of Day Capital. That you know, when you look at an investment opportunity, the most important thing to start off is the operator. Look at their history. What have they done? What's their experience? Have they been through a bear market before? Are they personally invested? You really want to vet them first. And that's usually, I always tell people, the key thing with investing, you really want to look at who's calling the shots and what's their history. So that's the first thing. And you know, once you've vetted the operator, vetted the CEO and the team, then you look at the numbers in the deal. And with the deal, you always want to look at you know, what's the game plan? If they say they're going to get you, you know, a 16, 18% internal rate of return, how are they going to do it? And make sure it makes sense. You know, in our case, you know, we talked about water savings, you know, rents being boosted. That's a pretty secure and common sense approach to a great investment. So look at that first. And then if you're looking at you know other deals, as I you know, they mentioned, if, if the returns look to be too good, they usually are. I mean, I got something just today in email saying, hey, we we expect a 41% return annualized. That sounds a little high to me. So you know, when you see these, you know, super returns, that's usually when I'm a little skeptical or concerned about whether or not that's uh, achievable. And it usually isn't. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes we get some pushback from investors that are chasing IR. We're, we're talking about a couple points of IR for something that's been a de-risk asset that may be a little bit more conservative or something that has zero margin for error. And it's a, an unknown operator. They haven't been in the business that long. And an inexperienced investor is, is looking at the sexy package and they're like, oh, well, I can make this just because it says it on paper has no correlation with them actually achieving that number. It's a little scary. Oh, for certain. As I said, that's one of the biggest red flags when somebody's throwing out these giant numbers that they've never achieved either. This is this is based off of just a brand new project that they're, they're presenting to you. 100% would be a red flag when that uh, is presented to you. What is maybe the, the biggest or most interesting question you've ever gotten from, uh, from a potential investor? Love that question. You know, one of the investors I spoke to a couple of weeks ago, 
he, uh, you know, loved the deal, loved everything. But then he started asking, we talked about, you know, learning, failure. And the question they asked me was, what is your worst performing asset in the portfolio? You know, great question. People love to talk about their winners, not so much things that are, not, not in this case a loser, but some that's just not doing as well as we had hoped. And I said to him, you know, let's, let's look. I was speaking mostly about the other uh, one deal we just closed on. But I said, let me take a look. And I looked back at all of our monthly statements our investors get. And I said, okay, there's one here. This one seems to be doing the worst. But keep in mind, it's still making money. However, it's just not doing as well as we had hoped for so far. And then, of course, he asked, okay, tell me what happened. Why? And what are you looking to do? And I said, well, the, the uh, occupancy rate dipped a little bit, which is you know some seasonal factors there. We own five properties within that radius, and they're doing quite well. So we're pretty confident this, the occupancy rate is going to bounce right back. He was very content with that answer. And I think also, you know, as we, we talk about just, you know, things to look for is ask the difficult questions to people. Ask, ask me difficult questions. And the answer should always be an answer, or it should be, I don't know, let me get back to you and make sure that the person gets back to you. Yeah, absolutely. If, if someone doesn't have a struggling property in their portfolio, they don't have enough properties. For someone not like having a perfectly clean record, that's not realistic. Now, someone could not have any capital calls and, and fund those themselves or whatnot. And when we were doing our semi-annual call, it was really interesting to see the different graphs for NOI and even for occupancy, how every property varied. You know, It's not a straight line, perfect and ups and downs. And ultimately, there are more ups than downs, but even properties in the same submarket varied quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. They always say markets do not move in straight lines. If you see the just, you know, the straight lines up, that's something else to be worried about. Absolutely. What makes someone successful at investor relations? Well, the few things I think really makes you successful in investor relations is one, you have to have great listening skills and empathy. People are coming to you looking to invest their hard-earned money. In many cases, their daughter's tuition money, money they're using for retirement. So you have to understand that. And your job is really to make them as comfortable as possible and excited to invest and, and to want to invest with you. So that's the first thing I think it's very important to, to, to have to be good in investor relations. The other things is, you know, one, availability. One thing that really struck me, you know, going back to my Wall Street days was when I met with the investor relations, head of investor relations at Pfizer for a Dow Jones company. Massive market cap, I think north of 200 billion now. And when he was meeting with my investors, some of them knew him quite well. And they got, you know, at the end, they were, you know, small talk. And they had found out that he had just purchased a house in New Hampshire. And for those who don't know the state, it's very rural, no big cities. And immediately when he bought this house, the company said to him, okay, well, how's the cell phone reception? That was the first thing they, uh, they asked him about. It wasn't, oh, congratulations. It was, how's the cell phone reception? And he says, ah, oh, it's a little iffy. Pfizer built him a cell phone tower to make sure that they can contact him any day, any night when he's there. And I think that's really important with investor relations to be available when your investors call you to be able to answer their questions and get back to them. Sort of my rule of thumb is when somebody reaches out to me, I want to get back to them within an hour's time. And if I and if I don't pick up your call, it's because I'm you know speaking to somebody else. And when that call is over, I get back to you. But an hour is sort of my number that I try to get back to people as quickly as possible. And I think the last thing too that's you know very important too is you have to believe in what you're talking to people. You can tell that, you know, that should be one of the first things that when somebody speaks to somebody looking at a deal, is that person excited about that deal themselves? If they had that little cautious tone or uh, like that, again, big concern. They really have to believe in what they're doing. 
which I certainly do. Excellent. I love, I love that that Pfizer story too. Oh yeah. <laughs> So, you know, we talked about struggling before and everyone in their life has faced failure or made a mistake in their in their career. And if you haven't, you're not you're certainly not trying hard enough. Talk about one of your your big mistakes and, and and what did it teach you? Sure, no, absolutely. I mean, that's you know one of the great Warren Buffett lines. I remember telling his own sons that if you're not failing, not trying hard enough. My biggest mistake ever was, you know, back in my Wall Street days, I had a very large trade in error one day and it was entirely my fault. What happened was at the time I was trading a lot of healthcare stocks, and so I was speaking the day a couple of days before to the you know the healthcare portfolio manager, and we determined that in all likelihood this drug was not going to get approved. So they were betting the stock was going to go go lower. And at the time, a lot of these drugs were not getting the necessary approval. However, uh, this time it did get the approval to our surprise. So he was short a couple hundred thousand shares, and at the time. The sort of the trading pattern we had observed was when it, when approval did happen, the stock was opening at its high, and then it was gradually going lower and lower and lower. So me thinking at the time, I was the smartest person in the room. When the stock opened the high, the trader says, okay, I need you to buy to cover our short position, 200,000 shares. I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait a little bit. There, there's no way the stock's going to stay at this level. Little did I know, this is one of the few times where the stock actually opened at the low and closed at the high while we're trying to buy the shares back. So I waited and waited, and the stock is just going straight up. And I keep on saying to myself, this, this can't be. It's, it's got to lower. It's got to lower. It didn't happen. About 30 minutes into the, uh, the trading period, got an angry phone call from the trader. How many shares have you bought? And I said, zero. I'm waiting for it to go lower. He's like, what are you doing? You got to buy this. I pivoted, started buying the stock. But at the end of the day, he said to me, he goes, you need to give me a price adjustment. So it ended up being about an $18,000 uh, trade in there coming out of my top line. But the valuable lesson there was just one, you never are the smartest person in the room to also just be able to adjust and pivot when needed. I mean, something could work 99 times, but 100th time it doesn't work. Guess what? You got to pivot, you got to adjust. So it, it was a very valuable you know, lesson I learned that day. And I guess the happy ending is he did give me enough commissions to cover that trade in air the next few days. So yeah. Well done. Well done. Good story. Yeah. Being able to pivot is, is, is so important, I think, in any business. and owning a multifamily property is a business and and having that ability to pivot having the the cash reserves to pivot when you need to and call upon other you know brokers and your property management company and and your team to come up with a plan to maximize your ultimate value of the property is is something that has to be done sure i know you're active in the community talk about some of the things that you do Yes. No, I am on the uh, board of City Squash Brooklyn. It's my sort of my last connection to my hometown, New York. I'm a big believer in just volunteer work and giving back to people that were, you know, have done so much for you. And squash did so much for me as my, in my youth. I was a competitive player, you know, played nationally. And it taught me so much. It taught me about, you know, the hard work, you know, getting up early to play before school, after school. It taught me about, you know, you know mental sharpness, how, how to stay mentally tough, how to train hard, competition to uh, you know, be as competitive as you can be on the court. And then once the match is over, off the court, friendship. So I made some great friends along the way too. And it was, really, it was one of the sports that really, you know, I think, you know, shaped me to who I am today. One thing, they started these inner city squash programs. And really the goal is you know, to leverage squash to help get kids into college. So what they do is you know, they're, they're trashing these schools, pick the team. And once they're part of the program, not only do they, they play squash, but there's tutoring volunteer work, taking them to museums, really teaching them a lot about culture as well. And the results have been fantastic. I know City Squash Brooklyn, 100% high school graduation rates. 
and I believe it's a 98% college graduation rate of the uh, students that go through the program. So that's my one program I do. And the other one too, is I volunteer my church too. My wife and I are wedding marriage counselors. And what we do is we meet with couples and we take part of the, uh, they call it SIMBIS, which is saving your marriage before it starts and really helping them uh, understand you know, what they're getting into and the importance of communication, tackling difficult issues, and to really help them with the difficult issues before they even you know, get married to make sure that they're you know, out in the open and really help them with those problems that could arise. Very cool. Very cool. I did not know that. So okay. very interesting. <laughs> I know you've got a webinar series coming up. Talk a little bit about that. Yes, very excited about this. I'm going to be hosting a three-part webinar series starting on Wednesday, March 6th at uh, 5 o'clock Arizona time, 7 o'clock Eastern time. And this is really for uh, people who are new to multifamily investing. You know, as I mentioned, you know, really our goal is for people to become as comfortable as possible and excited to invest with us. So the three parts, the first part is really about the fundamentals. We're going to go over a lot of the terms, the differences between the internal rate of return versus the average annual return, cash on cash returns versus preferred return. Really go over all the numbers, the terminology to make people feel very comfortable. Two weeks later, we're going to do part two, which is going to be about how to properly vet the operator, questions you should ask. And the third part, the following two weeks is going to be about you're ready to invest, what next? what to expect and to really make people feel you know comfortable as we mentioned it, it is a liquid investment but to let you know like the you know the how you're going to get the reports that we're always available to discuss things that we host not just monthly but often you know quarterly and semi-annual events as well so really make people feel very comfortable about investing with us through this three three part series very cool and how do people sign up for this webinar so go to our webpage breakofdaycapital.com and in addition to, if you have any specific questions, feel free to reach out to me at any time. You know, my email is adam at breakofdaycapital.com. And you can also call me. The best number to reach me at is 602-529-2056 as well. You can sign up on our webpage. We should have information there. So I encourage you to go to our webpage and sign up to start getting our uh, updates from us. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about Wall Street to real estate and adding a ton of value on investor relations. This is Gary Lipsky signing off. I'll be back next week with another informative episode on the Real Estate Investor Podcast. To all of our listeners, thanks for joining us. And if you like this episode, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher and like, subscribe, and leave a review as it will help us reach more people. And if you'd like to learn more about what we do at Break of Day Capital, head over to our website at breakofdaycapital.com and sign up for our newsletter and fill out our investor application. We'll talk to you next week.